think I'm doing those eyes. <laughs> I think I'm in love. It was terrifying. The pain, the, the fear of being eaten. I was drowning at the same time. I just accepted that I was going to die. Was there a bit of fandom for you when it came on? Oh, you huge. And I did not try to hide. <laughs> did not try to hide at all. Out of the box with Serge Negus on FBI. for the epic morning of tunes. If you missed anything Al played, you can catch up on it by heading to fbiradio.com. Now, my guest on Out of the Box today is one of Australia's most acclaimed Indigenous singer-songwriters. She's the 2014 Northern Territory Australian of the Year, the 2014 NADOC National Artist of the Year, and a multi-deadly award winner, among many other achievements. Her name is Shelley Morris, and she's a Wadaman woman and Yanyuan woman from the Northern Territory, like I said, but she didn't always know her heritage. See, Shelley grew up in the Shire right here in Sydney after being adopted out by a family in Cronulla. But after discovering her cultural roots, she's worked tirelessly to improve the lives of Indigenous Australians while reconnecting with her culture at the same time. She's an amazing woman. Shelley, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks, Serge. It's awesome to be here. Now, look, you've got to give us a bit of your backstory because, you know, be, being adopted out in Cronulla, uh, you know, in the 60s, right? Mm. A pretty interesting time for someone to adopt out and young Indigenous kid, right? Yeah, look, it wasn't the thing to do. Apparently mum and dad said that I chose them, that there were other babies to adopt that day and they were all non-Indigenous. But mum and dad said that I smiled at them and wouldn't let them go. And so they have always said that I chose them. But I suppose in a way they didn't realise because um, they didn't think there was anything wrong with that. Um, But obviously... I think their first experience was um, they were walking me down the street and uh, somebody had said, oh, you've got a beautiful new baby and saw that I was Aboriginal and spat what? on the pram. So, yes, it was very difficult. It was difficult for us as a family because we had to cope with that all the time. Um, and, I mean, I guess, like, did that have a big impact on your parents in terms of, like, how they're... Did they lose friends because of it as well? Is that what you're saying? Like, was it that bad? Yeah. Yeah, they did. Um, but mum and dad had said, look, they're not really friends anyway. Mm. Um, they've got, they're such beautiful people. And, obviously, they saw me as their daughter and that was it. And it was... We had to... Um, we had many issues that we had to deal with through school. Mm. Um, you know, like I wasn't allowed to play in the school band. Really? Um, yeah. Wait, so you, this is like talking through the 60s Six, and 70s. Yeah, you're late literally 60s, not allowed to. Yeah. Why, why were you not allowed to play um, in the school band? Maybe because and the only reason was was because I was Aboriginal. I was the only Aboriginal child at school and I was very musical. Yeah. And so my mother and father had ways of dealing with that. So mum... Um, organised a meeting with the, um, the principal. I nearly said Prime Minister, <laughs> the principal. And, um, yeah, she said, well, you know, they said that they'd run out of instruments and everyone had got one before and behind me. Wow. And so I didn't really understand anything about being different um, at that stage because I was in early primary school. Mm. Um, and then mum had brought a new flute and said, you know, slammed it on the table and said, well, she's in the band then. <laughs> and so, she, you know, she was pretty gusty. Stopping and, out. Yeah, <laughs> she just went, you know, and he, he nearly died of a heart attack when he saw my mum was white. Um, yeah, so we had to deal with that probably throughout most of my schooling with mm. a lot of ignorance and misunderstandings that were very inappropriate. 
And I mean, like, was there a point where that, like, changed at all or was it literally from primary school through to high school? Look, to tell you the truth, I don't think a lot's changed. A lot has changed with social. Our young people have a better understanding, but still our older generation can still be quite harsh. I mean, I was trying to get a cab the other day here in Sydney. I still can't get one. Yeah, wow. Um, so that, that, that sort of is a bit more difficult um, at times, but... Um, my mother and father had always taught me to be positive and, of course, they'd always said that I was Aboriginal and then if I ever wanted to find where my family's from, um, they will support that. And what was that like for you, I guess, having parents that were um, able to actually be supportive of you in that situation and help you, I guess, have confidence in that situation given you experienced so much racism outside of the family network? Mm. Look, they just taught me to be gutsy, um, to be strong, that I had the same rights as everybody else. It didn't always come out in a great way. I mean, I started to really rebel as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that was a bit hard on them because they didn't really understand. So, yeah, it was a very difficult process, and especially being an Aboriginal person with very limited knowledge. All I knew that I was from the Northern Territory, but we had no names, we had no place. Mm. And I felt, I felt that. Mum and Dad knew that I felt that I didn't belong. Well, it's something I want to get stuck more into a bit later on, but we do have to get onto the first track that you've brought in, and it's an absolute cracker, I must say. Black Sabbath, Changes. Why'd you bring this song on? I brought this song because my brother was a huge Black Sabbath, you know, Blue Oyster Cult, you know, Deep Purple, every kind of music. But I really started to sort of find solace or find sanctuary in songs Mm. and this was the one that was through my teenage years and this was where I was sort of going through not only all the changes of you know out of school into adulthood and this song has been with me you know till today I love it so much and it's on my playlist and it just is a great song great songwriting and yeah it's one of my yeah heroes kind of songs yeah Love together We found 
You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest today is Wadawan and Yanyuan woman Shelley Morris. She's an Indigenous singer-songwriter. Very prolific, very amazing. But uh, look, we were just talking before about how, you know, you had these experiences where you weren't allowed to do music because you're Indigenous and various things like this. And there's another thing that happened to you as well when you were going through your schooling life where you were actually, you know, getting some of the best marks in, in school. Um, But what people do at school, what principals do often is they actually scale the classes based on academic achievement, right? And so they put the top students in the top classes and then it's a scale down, right? But you, even though you're one of the top students, were put into one of the lowest classes, which obviously if that's the way they structure things at school is going to have a big impact on your ability to learn and actually achieve. I mean, how did you react to that? I, I was in shock, actually, and I didn't. I should have went to my parents and told them, but I was so kind of embarrassed because I did quite well in primary school, so then my academic was I was quite, you know, high up in the classes. And then they just... I realised... I mean, at that stage, I still was the only Aboriginal person in high school mm. until year nine. And they just assumed that I couldn't be that clever. And so then I went into... From ones and twos into class number seven... So obviously my dyn- my dynamic of friendship 
change too. So then I was with the children, that, the young people that had, uh, whether they were, had difficulties learning, but they also had some attitude. So I then, they were my friends then. Yeah. And so then, you know, I had a bit of attitude too. So you were, you had people around you that were naturally going to, I guess, be a bit more rebellious. And I guess, how did, how did that rebellion you know, come about? What sort of things did you get up to? Um... Well, I didn't throw the compass at the teacher. <laughs> I often wasn't even in class because yeah. sometimes some of my teachers, as soon as I walked in the class, they just threw me out wow. because they just assumed that I would cause trouble. So I spent a lot of my years just out in the hallway. Wow. And, and then did I, anyone ever, oh. ever at the, in, the, in the school, did they ever attempt to try and get you back into the class or did they just actually not care? They just went, nah, whatever. There's only one teacher that was kind to me and that was my English teacher. And she was wonderful and, you know, she was just cared about people mm. and she was very kind to everybody. Um, I got punched in the arm once by <sighs> a teacher. Um, and then my my sister, a non-Indigenous sister, stuck up for me and you know, <laughs> nice. told the teacher, you know, that she was going to sort her out. And she's, <laughs> she was five foot eight and very scary. And uh, so, yeah, and there was another time where um, I was picked on by a year 11 student and he would call me, like, terrible names like Bung and Coon every day at school mm. and called me all sorts of things. And she ended up um, sorting him out and punched him in the nose and broke his nose after school. What a legend. So <laughs> he, he never called me nasty names again. So it was it was really full on. Like I look back and I think, oh, really? Uh, it was very cruel. And then in year nine, um, some Aboriginal people came down from Lightning Ridge and Moree and Burke. And then I had a, a, a new sense of family and sense of friends um, that we kind of hung out together so that was pretty cool for me that yeah. was my first sort of did it light the fire for you i guess to feel like you actually had a connection that you could follow up that might actually lead you down a pathway to i guess some level of reassurance with who you are and where your heritage is from right yeah i mean in those days i i mean being very naive and very young mentally and you know i i I just thought it was still too hard. So, yes, I did find a sense of uh, identity that I felt like I belonged to this little group. Yes, I had my great school friends that were still my friends today. Um, but, um, yeah, that was the first time it's kind of like sparked um, that kind of like, wow, maybe there's more to this than just than what I see and what I think. Well, we're going to get stuck into that very shortly, but Treaty by Yothi Yindi is the next song you brought on for us. And there could be a million reasons why you brought this one on, but there's what is the reason why you have brought it on for yourself? Well, the reason was after school, um, yes, just hung out at the beach and, you know, did a bit of work and just, you know, living on the dole and then getting a bit of work. And, and then I moved to the Hunter Valley and I found this track. And it was the first time in my life I felt a connection to language that I didn't even know. And I would play that song over and over in the car and sing the first part of the song, which is all in um, Gumach. Can you give it, give it? Give us a bit of an example? No, 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 no not without the words, not without the words. Um, so I felt that I was connected to this, now I know they're Yorongal people. I was deeply connected to this 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 band and this song and um you'll hear the story how 
today deeply connected to that band and that song. listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus and my guest today is Indigenous singer-songwriter Shelley Morris. Now, we've just spoken about how you're, you've moved to Singleton, you've been right? Singleton mm. in the Hunter Valley. And um, you're there and you're working, washing a car, right? Yeah. And then a guy comes up to you and says, 
what does he say? He says, how'd you get here so quickly? Yeah, he said, how did you beat me here? And I said, uh, <laughs> what do you mean? He said, well, I just saw you in Kakadu National Park. And I go, where's that? He goes, the Northern Territory. I go, okay. And I said, and he said, um, I'm adopted. I said, I'm adopted. And he goes, do you have a twin? And I said, no. And he said, you have a sister that lives in Kakadu National Park. She looks like you. She walks like you. She talks like you. And she was the last person that I saw. And then now, because the mining industry, he was working up Mm, up there. And then I was working in the mining industry down in the Hunter Valley. Well, not really, but he picked (laughs) up his car to go there. And he said, you definitely have a sister. And she lives in Kakadu National Park. I don't know her name, but you have to go find her. And how did that feel for you in that moment? Did that just smash you in, like, in the face? Were you just like, whoa, what just happened? Yeah, yeah, it did. I completely gobsmacked. You know, I was gobsmacked and thought, oh, how am I going to get up there? <laughs> you know, I've got a job, I've got a house, I've got, you know, bills to pay, you know, living like the normal, you know, you know, the white life. Living, yeah, living the very <laughs> The conservative life, you know, I'm doing good things, you know. Not a rat bag anymore and... You know, I'm a manager of a franchise and, mm-hmm. you know. And money. so what happened? What what was it that, that made you move up there and made you go try and seek out your family? Well, funny enough, I was doing I was doing some gospel choir stuff and uh, the lady said, oh, look, I've got a trip to Darwin. Do you want to come? And I said, yeah. And then I'd worked out, I'd, you know, I'd researched that Darwin and Kakadu were very close. And then, of course, I'm in contact with mum and dad all the time and they were very excited that I was heading up to the Northern Territory. But it wasn't on that trip. Um, It was... um, But after I left that trip, um, I'd met people from remote communities and Mm. they were just all over me. And, where are you from? I know that face that you've... I know your face. And then I'd left there and then I I was so homesick. And I thought, well, this is difficult because I'm in a relationship the last place he'd ever want to be is hot country. And then one day, my partner at the time came home from work and he said, oh, look, you know, let's go to the Northern Territory and live. And it was just like that, you just picked up and you went up there? Yeah. Within three weeks, we were there. Wow. That's insane. Had a house. He had a job. And then... And this is all motivated based on trying to help you reconnect with your family, right? Well, no. No? It wasn't for him because I didn't say anything. No way. He just He just went... Let's let's go to the Northern Territory yeah. without having any yeah. inkling. I'd said that I, I I love the place so much and and it would be a dream one day yeah. to go there. But he was adamant. No, nah, can't stand the heat. I'm going there. It's too far away. And I think within three months or four months he'd you know, come home and I'd sort of let that dream go. And yet my heart was aching. And um, yeah, and that was it. We were up there, and then my mum and dad rang me and said, "Right, Shell, this is it. This <laughs> is when you're going to do it." Here's the number for link up. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll get stuck right into that connection in a second. But the next song you've got for us, though, "Island Home" by Rumpy Band. Very fitting. Is this? Why did you choose this song? Well, obviously, when I found you at the Indie, I also found Rumpy Band mm. um, during my life, and I really loved their music. I loved their songs in Lurcher Pinterby. And also, and when I went to the Territory, I got to, when my singing started to happen, I got to sing with G.R. Bradawanga, the lead singer for a rumpy band. Wow. He, connect, he was such a generous soul. He'd 
you know, we'd go to many festivals together and I was always singing with him. And this song means so much. Now I can sing it in his language, which is Gumach. And that took me 10 years to learn. So this song was really quite precious to me. And, um, and of course, to the generous soul himself and the band, um, they just looked after me and took me under their wing and, yeah, made me feel at home with music and being an Aboriginal person. Six years I've been in the desert And every night I dream of the sea To say home is where you find it Will this place ever satisfy me For I come from the song Waiting for me, my island home. 
You're listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest today is Indigenous singer-songwriter Shelley Morris. Now, we've just been talking about how you've made this move. You've, you've moved up to the Northern Territory and your parents, your non-Indigenous parents, have said that, all right, this is a moment you're going to go link up with your family. They've always encouraged you to do this as well, right? Yep. And so how did you actually go about doing that? Well, um, I did it without thinking about it because if I thought about it, I would have been too scared because um, adopted children and whether you're Indigenous or non-Indigenous, it's a really big step in your life. So they, I did it. And then I, the lady dropped the phone when I rang and said who I was because I did have my real mother's name. It was a mistake. It was an accident given at birth. Wow. So I had that card, you know, your birth card? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I said that name and she dropped the phone. She said, your family's been looking for you since the day you were born. And then I'd rang mum and dad and then mum and dad came up with me. Um, we went through the process of, you know, all that. And I remember the first thing that the lady said to me on the phone, you have a sister that lives in Kakadu National Park. Oh, wow. So so you had confirmation about this, this story that you've been told by this guy whose car you were washing. <laughs> yeah, 10 years prior. Oh, wow. So, well, not even that, but yeah, six years prior or something. So it was a really mind-blowing experience for me. And then mum and dad flew up and then we started to connect. And so what was the process then um, for, for reconnecting? Like, how did that actually work? Well, Link Up, first of all, is an organisation that links up stolen generation or adopted Indigenous children to help them find their families. Um, the process is they need to write to my real mother first, and she's white, and my father is black. And Mandy and I have the same father, my sister. And so we... And then the process is we then meet the family that were in Darwin and then we made the trip out to Kakadu. So it, it's, it's quite a slow process yeah. through letters and whether people yes or no. And did you find out what your, like, you know, your Indigenous family had done trying to look for you? How did they actually, because like, if you were told that they were trying to look for you, how did they actually go about trying to look for you themselves? Well, Mandy, my sister, whose name is Mandy, lives in Kakadu, our father, had hitchhiked down here when he was about 19 All the way to old. Sydney, from Kakadu? From, yeah, from Darwin. From Darwin. All the way to here and just wandered around the streets hoping that he would find me. You're kidding. Mm-mm. Just wandering around, searching. Searching, yeah, Is coming it, here, Redfern. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. And the heart, the most heartbreaking thing is when I did meet the family, our father had passed away one year before I got home <sighs> through heart failure. So that was really sad because he was the one I was so looking forward to meet. Yeah, mm. wow. And then when you actually did meet, I mean, what were the feelings like for you and, and them? It's really overwhelming. Uh, it's You would think it would bring all joy, but it doesn't. It, it brought up a lot of anger in my life and a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of, oh, why me? Hmm. Why is this? And then, because my family's affluent language speakers, and then feeling completely lost as an Aboriginal person, yeah, well. around, surrounded by... Um, well, m- my sister's mother's language and our bush mother, her language is Gunjabmi, 
which is from the Mormoral clan in the heart of Kakadu, which is a dialect of Gumbalanya, which is Gunwingo, which is the major language. And so I'd never heard language before, and my heart, you know, the, the, yeah. the grief, I think, that I was feeling. It took many years. Um, Mandy was incredible with um, looking after me in those years. She put me in a hotel for many years because she didn't think I'd be able to cope with being in the bush. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like city girl. But obviously things have changed. She says I've got my pea plates now <laughs> in, uh, in <laughs> bush life. And, and look, you know, it has been... Once you get through those first emotions, it then is a truly beautiful journey. But the fear and the wanting to run back here to, to the big city because I knew how that worked. Mm. And I could deal with that. I didn't understand this. This, it's it's a whole different world. Is it, it almost this sense that you, if through no fault of your own, almost felt in in um, I guess like incapable of being able to do it. Yeah, like, yeah. totally. Like, like yeah. there are words out there that I mean, you know, and that's a journey in itself. All the languages, um, but uh, it it was so foreign, and yeah. this this way of life, this way of communicating, it was so new to me yeah. everything was so open everybody's so you are a part of the family there's no trying to be a part of a family or trying to be liked by people we're here mm. in sydney that was the job yeah, yeah you know trying to be accepted you were accepted so uh. then i had to go through all that kind of um and how similar were you and mandy as sisters like when that, the guy washing his car said that you're like twins like i mean were you that similar we are still today mm. it's ridiculous I mean, a lot of the family from Tiwi Islands really can't tell us apart. And even though I feel we do look look very different, but exactly the same laugh, exactly the same profile. She's an incredible entrepreneur, and I feel that I'm an entrepreneur, I suppose, in my work and the things that I've done. Um, yeah, and there's such a closeness now. I mean, 20 years later, it's, yeah. it's, it's so incredible, this this family feeling it's so beautiful and it's only brought me closer to my non-indigenous family as well yeah and i mean and then tell us about like for you then what it was like when you first drove out to to kakadu and went on country what was that like for you it was incredible i remember getting to pass south alligator there and you and it just opens up into the floodplains and it takes your breath away this is going around the long way not the bush track mm. and then the big goanna just walking down the road and all the wildlife and then you obviously it was incredibly and yeah we went to because we had to wait for mandy i think she was finishing work and she works in tourism on the on yellow waters there and we um we went to the warajan cultural center which is in the shape of a pig-nosed turtle and that's his name warajan and there's a picture of Mandy, and she looks exactly like me in that picture. And me and my mum, my white mum and dad, are looking at this picture, and, and a tourist walked past goes, oh, what a lovely photo of you. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. And I was like, oh, that's her, that's her. That's definitely her. <laughs> and we hadn't met her yet. Um, and then we went to Potonga, which is um, my sister's outstation um, homeland, and then we, Mandy took us for a drive in the four-wheel drive and out to the floodplains and, and then we sat by the river and she had photos of Dad and um, photos of herself growing up and there are photos where we are completely identical. Wow, it's insane, it's isn't insane, it? It's insane, yeah. 
Well, okay, it's such an incredible story, Shirley. But look, getting on to the music again, the next song you got for us um, by the Saltwater Band, Compass. Why'd you bring this one on? One, it was a band that Dr. G. Unipingal, the blind Aboriginal singer that's just passed away, and I was very close to him. This was his favourite band in the whole wide world. Wow. But plus this song is the musicality and the vocals and the harmonies which he was very much pivotal to. Um, yeah, I, it's, and the compass is the song about finding your way. Yeah. And so, you, so the, the, the traditional dance for it is actually putting something up to your eye that's like a compass. No and way. So that's the, the whole um, story to that. But it's the incredible vocalisation of this song. And the melodies and the, wow, it's powerful stuff. So, yeah, it's one of my favourites in the world. Oh, 
is Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus, and my guest today is Shelley Morales, the amazing singer-songwriter. Now, look, tell us about some of the work that you've done over the years, because you're basically, like, I mean, you know so many different languages. You've worked in so many different communities. How did you get yourself doing that kind of work? Well, I was just working at the airport, and then I was doing some stuff in high schools, some songwriting with young people, and then someone had sent me on a tour from Darwin to Broome, and amongst that, I had to visit remote communities and I was very unlearned, and I say that respectfully to myself and had no idea really how to communicate with Aboriginal people except for Mandy, so I was ringing her often and asking for her advice. And for some reason, and I never planned it, for the next 19 years, 18 years, I spent in over 50, 60 remote communities and revisiting them, so minimum five years, now working with Yorngall, 19 years, and also, yeah, many communities. So the, the longevity, obviously I was never home, but I fell in love with not only the landscape, I started to hear the melodies of the language, and then I started to challenge myself with one word, two words, three words, saying Pichinjara or Nanantara or Yorngumata, and then I just kept going, and then now I sing in well seventeen languages from the NT, and probably about five or six wow. around Australia. I mean, in a day and age where you know we talk about how so many Indigenous languages are becoming endangered, I mean, like it's almost like we need to bottle you up and store you somewhere or something like that. But that's kind of what you're doing with the actual work you're doing, right? Because mm. you're putting this into music, mm. which is keeping this for years. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, I'm also a recording engineer, so I do take all the recording gear and record those songs mm. and give it back to the community. I've never really done anything much with them, as in for my own personal gain, it was for the community. Mm. And I'd realised, well, if, you, if we're going to talk about a message, it has to be in their own language because it, some of the families will speak five or six fluently. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the fa- seriously, just you know, five or six within one language group? Within the, yeah. So... A friend of mine, which was G.R. Bradawanga, the lead singer Rumpy Band's wife, she speaks Yongomata, Walpuri, Pichinjara, Luruchapintabi, and Aranda, and she speaks them fluently. Wow. <laughs> so I'd realised how important it was and how much fun, because then the children became my teachers. I didn't walk into that bush community thinking I've got all the answers. Mm. I was asking to be taught and that's where I think the great joy and the great success has come from because the the community members became my teachers and I didn't go in I just had the equipment to make something work what's your message okay the message we need to talk about trachoma because it's bad you know because we have the highest rates in the world here in Australia but let's talk about other things and let's make another song about something that you you it's passionate in your heart about what you would like to see for your community. Is this something that you think that, you know, there could be more government support for or that communities could be doing more for, like, outside of these remote communities? Oh, absolutely. Look, you know, that's, you know, I try not to... I've tried to because it's been so overwhelming, I mean, to see the intense poverty and, you know, diseases like uh, rheumatic fever still alive and tuberculosis and things like that and now... Obviously, our death rate's 20 years. 
um, less than everyone else. Mm. Um, yeah, so I do. I, I do really struggle with that, but I've always tried to just stay focused on I've got a guitar, I can sing, and we can make absolute joy and happiness. And out of those positive things and giving the community a voice in their own language or whether they want to use English, whatever, that's empowering enough. And then that empowerment then can take them on the journey to to help us all change the way things are. It's one hell of a positive philosophy, Shelley, that I think everyone can take a leaf out of your book, that's for sure. Now, look, uh, moving back onto the music, though, Chris Isaac, Wicked Game. I mean, it's a classic, but what does it mean to you? Oh, look, I just love the song. I just think the man was the... I, I watched him on, I think it was Denton, and I thought, who, who is this gorgeous <laughs> man singing this gorgeous song? I think it's another thing for me, songs, it's about melodies mm. and tone for me when I hear a song. So the melody of this song is incredibly beautiful. And so that's what I, I love to listen to. I, I then went out, went and found out what the song was about recently. Um, yeah, so just, I think it's his tone, it's his breath, it's his deepness in his voice that I just love. So that's why I chose the song, because I love it.
Listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus, and my guest on the show today has been Indigenous singer-songwriter Shelley Morris. Now it's a, almost the end of the program. Now we do have time for one more track, but before we get into that, though, I do want to know you're, you're here in Sydney at the moment. You've got this special show happening at the Powerhouse Museum. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing there? It's a residency, right? Yeah, I got a residency with another wonderful um, uh, Murray artist from Gugui LNG Country up near Cairns, and we've been we been touring overseas at the beginning of the year and we decided to put this tour because mostly in my life I've in as an artist I've been in remote communities and then I go do really fancy gigs around the world like Olympics and, and stuff like that <laughs> and then that's I go one thing we didn't get onto actually that you've done Olympic shows which is three crazy. I've done three. three. Oh my god <laughs> I've done the winter and two summer <laughs> and Commonwealth Games and I do these amazing huge shows mm. with symphony orchestras, but I never really sing anywhere else. Yeah, wow. And so it really was a tour just about audience development and getting out there a bit more. Um, so, yeah, so that's where we're at with that. And this tour now, we've got a show on Saturday night. Uh, doors open at 6.30 at the Powerhouse Museum, 500 Harris Street in Ultimo. And the residency's been about being in the space mm-hmm. of the museum, um, going through the archives, which I'm um, going down the basement where no one else is allowed to go. Oh, cool. Like I was hanging out with Angus's young guitar yesterday. Oh, what? Like, how cool is that? You're kidding me. I wanted to cradle it like oh a baby. Oh, my God. Um, and to see uh, incredible artwork. And, and so I'm sort of hanging out in the library that's doing, awesome. doing some research and that's the powerhouse library no one else can go to it but if you're staff and what it was was the marcus hughes who's in head of indigenous strategy and engagement he decided to have these residencies where artists would come in uncle jack charles was the last one and just be in the space to create a space inside that place where the staff work where people are used to seeing aboriginal people come in and out and so we're building bridges. It's all about, to me, yeah, that's how we change the way things are, is through one-on-one friendships and relationships. Oh, yeah. So we're having a big jam session on Friday with all the musos that awesome. work there. So um, just at lunchtime. So Great. it's kind of cool. How good's that? Yeah. Well, yeah, if you want to head along to that one, definitely you do it. I'm sure you can just head to the Powerhouse Museum website to pick up tickets for that one. Yo, Saturday night. Yeah. Hell yeah. Now, look, moving on to the music again, the last track you got for us, Hurt by Johnny Cash. Why did you bring this one on? I saw this film clip when I was doing a 
an album down in Melbourne and I just couldn't stop crying. And it was, um, I think it was the last track he'd ever sort of done with a film clip. I don't know if it was the last track he ever did, but it was one of the last. And I suppose now, as an artist that's, you know, been nominated for Arias, got multiple awards, um, I've got a nom- I've got nominated for a Walkley, <laughs> got nominated for five actors, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, with the soundtrack of prison songs. Um, it would, when it all comes down to it and the beautiful life that I've been introduced with my family in remote communities, all of it really is a, a mountains of nothing. You know, it's mm. it, the, it's about the friendship and it's about the journey now. When I first started in the music industry, I thought it was all about that. It was all about fame. It was all about fortune. And then when I realised when I went home, it was all about family. It's all about friends. And it, to me now today, it is a privilege and an honour to be doing what I'm doing. But if it finished tomorrow, I would, I'd be completely happy. You know, so I'm writing a book at the moment. Um, writing my story um, and just writing songs and gigging and yeah. just living just living Shelley Morris thank you so much for coming on the show it's been an absolute pleasure coming up next is Brady Tanner with lunch and I'll be back next week see ya I hurt myself today to see if I still feel I focus on the pain the only thing that's real the needle tears a hole the old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the And you could have it all My empire of dirt I will let you down I will make you hurt I wear this crown of thorns Upon my liar's chair Full of broken thoughts I cannot repair Beneath the stains of time The feelings disappear You are someone else I am still right here 
What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have it all My empire of dirt I will let you down If I could start again A million 